Good morning. And good morning to everybody watching online, especially a sister church who's without a pastor. And so on some Sundays they tune in to us, Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Corpus Christi. Good morning to all of you. Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. So is, do you, if you don't have power, raise your hand at your house. Look, we still have a couple. We're going to say a special prayer for you guys. Um, what about branches in the yard still? And you came here instead of cutting up all your branches. We are glad you did that for at least a, an hour here with us in the Word. Mary and I were on our way back from our GROW conference on Friday, and she said, uh, let's listen to this pastor that I saw online. And I had a very unspiritual response. I said, I've been listening to pastors for two days. <laughs> But go ahead. And I got a one-liner from the guy that I'll, I'll never forget. He said, you know, he was talking about family and parenting. And he said, you know, a lot of people think that as long as you're keeping your children happy, you have a good home. And he goes, I'm going to tell you that actually a, a wonderful home is when sometimes the children aren't happy. Because they're being confronted by their parents with their little ego that needs to be challenged. And I thought, what a unique way to present that. And of course, I was meditating on this scripture. If you'll get your, your uh, bulletin open, it'll be on the screen, but it, let's have both of those mediums in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. It's the assigned epistle reading for today. And uh, what I went and did was go and pick new gospel and Old Testament readings to go along with it. And uh, it's the opening verses, really, of a letter that he wrote to Corinthians. He had started a church there. Uh, stayed 18 months. Before he came to town, no one had heard about Jesus. And when he left, there was a flock. We don't know how many, maybe 100 people, like maybe the size of this group here that they had as believers. But he left, and they had some leadership among them, but they didn't have the Apostle Paul with his inspired teaching. And they were culturally egocentric. They were Greeks, and they were Greeks who had, a, in the known world at that time, a pretty affluent life. It was a trade city. There was a lot of money, commerce, and mercantile money going back and forth. There was, there was a lot of the, the latest and greatest sexual escapades. It always had been that way. Um, they, as, as culture, has it, your sinful nature flows along with your culture, they fell back into some rather egocentric church life attitudes, and it was causing arguments. They were quarreling. So a guy from Chloe's household, one of the church families, he took a trip. He went and found Paul, and he said, we got problems. And Paul's going to stay where he was because he was doing mission work there. He said, I'm going to write a letter. You take it back. And the opening verses start talking about the root cause of quarreling. A lot like James 4, where do quarrels and fights come from among you? They come from the battle, the war inside of your heart. Paul rips open their hearts and he says, I'm going to tell you what God sees, what I see, what you need to see, and how you get out of this. So you stop having fights and quarrels among you. I don't know what it was like in your house. I don't know what you're going to be like in your car when you leave today. I just know that I can preach all of this and get in a tiff with my wife 
this very same day within minutes after church. I don't think I'm alone. I think we all need this word of God. Um, some of you, I know, because I'm looking out there and I see you, you know a saint that uh, comes to the, has come to church here. She isn't right now, but uh, you, you know her, Brenda Hernandez. She gave me this book about 25 years ago, and it, I, I pull it off the shelf every now and then. I've probably used it before in a sermon. The Inflated Self. It was written and published in 1980 by a Christian counselor out of Michigan, and the subtitle is Human Illusions and the Biblical Call to Hope by David Myers. It's really a neat little book. You can get it from Amazon pretty cheaply. The Inflated Self. It runs counterculture to all pop psychology. As a Christian counselor, it's saying things that Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, pop psychology says your biggest problem is you lack self-esteem because somebody has beat you down, torn you up, and spit you out, chewed you up and spit you out, and, and you're, you need to get more self-esteem, which is when the world tries to teach that kind of spiritual truth, it's always a little half-baked. He contends really our biggest problem is that we are in love with ourselves and we're selfish and we don't like it that people have actually not treated us as a queen or a king and so we get our feelings hurt because our feelings are our feelings and they're more important to us than your feelings and he makes a really good point and he uses mostly psychology but a lot of scripture the inflated self i think you're ready to listen to first corinthians now parenting counselor i'm going to tell you something i gotta i gotta make you a little unhappy with paul I mean, not unhappy with Paul, but with Paul, I need to make you unhappy so you can have that which is true joy. So here's the big theme for today. What are you going to take away? I don't know what you're taking away, but I'm telling you what I'm giving away. Get over yourself. And I'm preaching to myself, too. Get over yourself. That's a theme that keeps coming out in my heart when I read these verses from chapter 1. Get over yourself. And watch how Paul does it. He's a little more delicate. Get, get to the Bible. Verse 25 of chapter 1. He's, he's been talking about the gospel being foolish in the world's eyes. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He's saying in the eyes of the world. This message that this Jesus died on a cross and rose again is counter to the, you know, the whole idea that someone could die and rise again. It's foolishness to them. And that, that for all ages, would stand as the great uh, completer of our lives before God and would make us holy in his sight because he died for our sins. He goes, that is just total, utter foolishness in the eyes of the world. But it's the power of God that gives us all redemption and righteousness and peace and holiness and love. It does all these things that the world can't understand. And we're going, yes, God, yes, God, the world sucks. We don't. We know Jesus. And he goes, now let me tell you, the foolishness that he used for the gospel, also he used when he picked you. <laughs> he chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, like a baby born in a manger to a poor couple and a guy dying on a cross and it was ugly and horrible he goes, well, when he picked you, he picked something foolish so he could shame the world. He didn't pick you because you were so great. 
He didn't look down and say, she's, good. she's just a wonder. I got to have that one. He's amazing. I want that one. He'll work hard. I'll get that one. He said, no, God picked you because you were actually lazy, blind, or criminal. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. In other words, when I came to town with the gospel and I found you, I'm going to tell you. But he says, said, I'm me telling you, you just think of what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So, everybody read this out loud with me. So that no one can boast before him. If you want to know what Paul's thinking when he says not so noble, not so influential, it isn't just those things that are kind of passive. But if you go to chapter 6, I'll, uh, I'll read from there for you. But if you go to chapter 6, this is what he says. Don't you know that no wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither sexual immorality, immoral people, idolaters or adulterers or men who have sex with men or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wait for it. And this is what some of you were. But you were, he's still in chapter six, he's still working on this whole get over yourselves theme. And he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, here's the weird part. Because we're sinners, we come to faith. At the time we come to faith, we, whether, whether it's a little bitty or, or grown up, with the time that we come to faith, there is a very realiza strong realization that I am a lost person that needs redemption. And God did it. That's the whole foolishness of the cross, right? But what's strange, since you're a sinner... After you go along a little while and you clean up your life because Jesus is living in you and you're making better decisions by the power of God, you start to think you're somebody on your own. And then it starts entrapping you and isolating you. Those own thoughts of yours isolate you from people at church. Let me give you an example. Things that we say. You may have never said them, but you may have heard them. And even if not, you know how plausible this is. During COVID, we had people didn't come to church at all. They were scared. Some didn't come to church at all because they liked it. <laughs> the expectations are lower, right? I even liked it. Sometimes I watch myself online in my pajamas. <laughs> I didn't want to get back to this. This is work, right? That was fun. The whole time they stayed away and then COVID left, lifted. They're still staying away. They're saying, I don't want to be with y'all. I want to be somewhere else today. And then they say, nobody ever came to see me. While some of us are saying, you never came back to church. But I came back to church. I don't, I personally don't have any bragging rights. I work here and get paid for it. But, Right? I came to church today when I had branches in the yard. I'm not one of those people that's doing the branches right now. Right? 
I, of all the staff here, I work the hardest. At least I work harder than him. Right? Um, they start in your heart, but then they come out in the way we treat each other, in the way we behave, right? And they start quarrels and fights among us. Right? It's hard to look at. Some of the studies that book talks about were done in mission fields where there are missionaries abroad and how when the, when the commissary or the, you know, the supplies come from the states, well, I've been on the field the longest. I have seniority, right? Uh, things like that creep up, right? In your home. When we go to make the bed together, I do my side better than you do. I keep house better. You're such a slob. Or you're so persnickety and you're so unhappy. I'm happier in the whole, right? You've sensed that self-righteousness, that comparing. And I just want to tell you all that I'm so happy because I don't have any of these thoughts. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I think I just did that, right? And you know what? It isn't just church people. and It's everywhere. It's human. It's in every people group you've ever been a part of. I, I sat at a baseball diamond one time, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pastor going, trying to get more volunteers at church, and the guy is shouting out at the beginning of the year meeting, we can't just have you sitting in the stands. I'm thinking, I almost said that at church. We can't just have you sitting in the pews. You need to get out here and help us with this field and whatever. Your kids are playing on it. You know, the, the law is just like, I'm, I feel like he is so unhappy. Why would I want to go work with him? Right? Where do quarrels and fights come from? You've got to get over yourself. You weren't, you weren't somebody when he picked you. You were lost. And you know what? By yourself, you're still lost. But he loves you. In Christ, you are completely forgiven for everything I just described. You are loved, and I love you. God loves you. Jesus died for those sins, the ones you commit after you come to faith. It's all a beautiful message about Jesus, right? And when you, do, when you know that, then the gospel releases you from being all about yourself, but it starts with confronting you and making you a little unhappy that you're so haughty about whatever it is, right? Paul has more to say about it, so let's let him say it. Verse 30, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You might be thinking, well, he just said all that. Actually, he's starting to move us to the other side of the coin. He's saying, not only did God not choose you because you were someone great, but everything that's great about you, he did. This is a hard one, but it's the truth, and it brings, everything I'm saying brings great wisdom and peace and strength and power to your life when you get over yourself and you realize the good in me is God's. Let me just say it this way, because some of your Christian minds are going, well, yeah, uh, but I, there's some good in us. Even before we come to faith, there's good people, right? Civic, civically good. Yeah, God says, I created you with the capacity to follow the rules and to love people in certain ways. That's called the natural knowledge of God that I put in everybody's heart. Who put it there? Oh, God did. 
Who gave us the opportunity to do it? Oh, God. Who gave us parents that would model it for God did. God gave it all to us. Right? Then when I brought you to faith, I gave you righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let me very quickly show you what he means. He came to town and they were lost people thinking they were self-righteous even though they had wicked lives. Some of the most self-righteous people are, are criminals as they punish each other in prison because I'm more righteous than you are. You're a pedophile. I'm going to beat you up in the bathroom of the prison because of what you did. Because they're all living under the law if they're not living under Christ. And there's many Christians in prison that are. But So I'm just trying to show you this. So Paul says, when I came to town and brought you the gospel, I brought you righteousness. A righteousness of Christ. That foolishness of the cross, right? The righteous that he lived a perfect life in our place and died to cover all of our sins, the ones we committed from birth to death, whether we got converted at 3 or 30, he died for all of them. We are righteous in God's sight. And that is, he said, I brought that to you. God did not, God, you did not bring that to God. Whatever is good of you from the gospel, the righteousness, it was given to you. And the holiness, that's a little different. This is kind of the word, it's, it is the word in Greek for sanctification, so sometimes it's translated that way. He, he became your righteousness, your holiness, your sanctification, that's, this is what it is. You've been living better than you've ever lived before because of God, that's what he's saying. You're getting it right so many times in your family and so many times whatever, that, that it's God that did that in your life. You were by yourself lost and messed up until the word of God by the Holy Spirit was taught to you and is still working inside of you. And Jesus is in you and he's leading you to live separate from the selfish world and a selfless life to whatever level you are. So don't be prideful about how good you are because that good is from God. Get over yourself. And then the final one, redemption, is taking a life that had a, a dead end, a, a, a lost life that was going completely away and finally to hell. God redeemed it and made it something that everybody receives from. He bought it back. And now your life has the value of a child of God who has love and gifts to share with others. And he said he did all of that. So, rather than I work harder than they all, I make the bed better than you, I'm nicer than you, and I'm not pointing out all your faults like you are, which is pointing out somebody's fault. See, rather than that, it's God is amazing. I was all those things. You were all those things, but he has redeemed me. He has given me righteousness. He's in me to get, make me better, and he's redeemed my life from being a waste and making it a great blessing. God is amazing to do something like that with me. All right. Um, that last line, I want to teach you a little bit about hermeneutics. Interpreting the Bible. That last line of the reading I just made. Look at verse 31. Therefore. See the quotes. Let him who boasts boast in this that he knows the Lord. Let him boast in the Lord. See the quotes. When you see quotes in a New Testament reading. And you want to be a faithful Bible student. You're going to take the time. What should you do about that? You should go read it. It was in 
Paul's mind as an inspired author, and he, what's the Bible Paul used? The Old Testament, right? So he knows, and these are Greeks that are reading this, not just Jews, right? So he's, he's taught them that the Old Testament is the very living word of God. And he goes, so just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you go look at this passage, it's a really, in light, I didn't put it on the screen or put this one in the bulletin for you just because it came later that I should show this to you. But this is from Jeremiah 9, and it's one of those kind of like John 3.16 passages of the Bible. So I'll read it to you, but it's, it's, it's from Jeremiah, and uh, it's uh, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise person boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength. Or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now you go back to Paul, and he's saying, you guys shouldn't be, you, you Corinthians were not all that great when I came, but I gave you Jesus and you got a lot better, but then your betterness is all from God. And he says, if you want to boast, boast that God taught you how kind he was, how he took care of all his justice on the cross and how he exercises his kindness and justice in the earth throughout your lives because he's such a wonderful, gracious God. I don't know about you, but if I look over my so many years of Walk, walking the faith, I see great understanding and then I see childishness and deep valleys and people that had God sent even to come get me back to this wisdom that all my righteousness really was in Christ. Not just to say it in my head, but to feel it in my heart and to believe it and to live a life of grace with others and boast that I know God's grace, his kindness and the justice that Christ satisfied for us. What an amazing God we have, right? When we live in that, that Paul is telling us, it changes the game. You know what I mean? See, you're not, you're not living in a world full of bad people and you're the good one. <laughs> you're living in a world of forgiven people for whom Christ died. Once Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we regard no one according to the flesh anymore. We, they've all been paid for by Christ. They're all forgiven objectively before we ever work through witnessing to them. Everyone is a forgiven sinner, not a bad one. You'll never be the light to your enemies if you don't get it that God loves them as much as he loves you. And you've got to get over yourself to be able to shed that light with them. And they're having trouble getting over themselves. So if you're getting over yourself, what a light you are, right? And you show them God's love and forgiveness. There's not bad people. There's not people that you can lose to at work or at church or in the family because you're not competing. I'm number six. I mean, five out of six kids. I learned to compete early, and that's just my nature. When I learned that there's some spiritual release from having to compete, Wow, you're not competing anymore, right? 
Um, you don't have to feel inferior to other people who really have it all together and do so much better than you at whatever it is you hope to do because you're not comparing yourself to others. You don't have to have a lot of anxiety about getting it right because somebody already got it right for you. Suddenly, you are free to live what Jesus called in John 10.10, the abundant life. He said, the Pharisees, they come, you know that guy that prayed about how great he was in church? He said, they come to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You get to live the full life. You know what it is? Freedom to love people sincerely in the power of Christ in his gospel. Nobody in this room, including me, has it perfectly. But we have it. And it's ours. And it's not tomorrow. It's not a destination. It's not after you follow these ten rules. It's right now. Jesus Christ is your redeemer, your holiness, and your redemption. And there's someone right now that you haven't been loving that you can give up the game that you were playing because you've gotten over yourself today through the word of God and now you're going to love them with a forgiving heart. Think of the weight that comes off of your shoulders about all the times she hurt you if you don't count anymore how she hurt It even will happen that a person will come to you and go, I just, it's been bothering me for a long time. I just want to say, I'm so sorry. And you'll go, I haven't thought about that in months, maybe years. Don't worry about it. Because the weight's off your shoulders because Christ took care of it. Because you got over yourself. It's not really about you. It's forgetfulness of yourself. Think of how wonderful it is that you're free to love. Think about the families that have been broken, but with somebody, even more than one somebody, gets to know this gospel that I'm talking about, and they start to, they, they don't lose the rest of their lives. How many families I've seen, they get it all figured out right as mom or dad is dying. And that Christ in me says, oh, I'm so happy, and yet I'm, Wish you'd have got 10 years of this rather than wait till the minute they're about to step into heaven. Better than than never. Right? I'm, I'm drawing you in to long for the freedom that your Savior Jesus Christ will give you in the gospel. No one can take this wonderful life from you except yourself. And that's why Paul, when he's, now this is in your folder, it's going to be on the screen. When he talked to the Galatians about these same issues, this is what he said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Remember Jesus said, take up your cross? I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live for me anymore. I got over myself. And he's not boasting. He's trying to lead the Galatians to do the same. And then he says later, the only thing that counts is faith in Christ working itself out in your life by being a loving person. Not giving up truth, but lovingly living the truth for other people. Get over yourself. You weren't that great when he chose you. <laughs> Everything good about you is really created by God, and it's a wonderful life when you do. Amen.